Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. Today, I am privileged to be joined by a true survivor. Janice Belford is here to courageously share her story. Not only did she survive losing her previously loving husband to an opioid addiction, she has persevered through physical threats against her, emotional abuse, financial ruin, and mental health trauma. Today, she's an incredible woman and mother, and she is proof that we should never give up on ourselves and that we don't truly know the depths of our own strengths until we call upon it. Janice, we can't thank you enough for being here today. And I will hand the floor, or I guess the mic, <laughs> over to you um, just to tell us how things began and when you started to notice a change. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate you spending the time with me today also. Um, so the, I guess it all started near the beginning of our relationship where there was um, some drug use for pain and it was all prescription. The whole, even the opiate addiction was all through prescription drugs that were prescribed by a doctor. And so we felt very safe. Um, As life goes on, there was some financial mistakes that he made and that um, upset him very much. And so anxiety set in. And as the anxiety set in, we had more with depression, we had the anxiety and the pain continued. So the opioids just kept layering. Mm -hmm. So the opioids kept going and kept going. And it would have been in uh, 1994, he really wanted off. This was it. He just wanted this over. Mm. He had talked suicide in the past. He had talked about just the pain was just too much and he wanted it done. So through his pain doctor. And again, everything was done through pain doctor, through doctors and psychiatrists. And there were, we had medical help around us and we were constantly seeking medical advice. Uh-huh. And he switched to a um, stronger opioid by the name of Suboxone, which uh-huh. is in the same family as methadone. And he switched to that and there was an accidental overdose and the accidental overdose was not his fault. And I, I give him that after that, I noticed that he didn't recover cognitively as well. So he was forgetting things more often. He was, he just wasn't able to put things together quite the same. And through that, he became more desperate for help because he's still in pain, nothing's changed, and he's becoming more desperate for help. In that time, I discovered a um, 
method that was more natural for treatment and I suggested it to him and he followed through on that. And that seemed to work a bit with some of the issues, but didn't work with all of the issues. And he met some people through that who had a different belief system. So now now we're into methadone, we're into energy work, and we're into people influencing his behaviors. Mm. And we had a perfect storm. Right. And the perfect storm led into his beliefs changed. His beliefs in, in our family changed. His beliefs in everything changed. So he was challenging everything that we had built together for over 20 years. Yeah. And those those they were hard it was it was hard to watch but it was hard to follow because some of his beliefs he was challenging my belief system at the same time so it became a very difficult trying to sort everything out what's going on so he met these these people and he started this in December of 94 And by January, end of January, beginning of February, I started looking into personality disorders and situations. I did call KMH and talk to them about the mental health that was going on because I was concerned because I was watching his behaviors change. Uh In March of 95, he got his own personal device to help the healing that is not regulated in Canada. Okay. So he obtained it through not very ethical manner. Sure. Yeah. If it's not approved in Canada, then it has to. (laughs) It's not approved. And it, the, one of the reasons is it will fry your brain Mm. if it's not used correctly. So now we have somebody that has an addiction is desperate to get out of pain. Yeah feels that this machine and these pe- these new people around him are making him happy and yes. he would go on this machine and charge himself and the oh, charging gosh. is trying to get back to get in line with the earth mm-hmm. as easy as I'm going to say it with that he became more charged and he became very erratic. So his behaviors really changed. So the machine arrived middle of March and he wasn't sleeping, he wasn't eating. He was on this path of self-destruction and he just decided that I wasn't there with him anymore. And by May, I was out of the house. And uh, within a couple of weeks, he had moved in this new woman that believed in everything. I see. He did. Uh And then uh, in early July, when I sent off lawyers' documents to finalize some things, he threatened my life. And he felt that he could do no wrong in God's eyes and that the aliens had his back. Right. So then that started a whole new breakdown of events because I've now lost the person that I was in love with. I lost everything we had built together 
was now gone. Yes. Challenging my beliefs, but then to go and threaten me took a whole new, a whole new layer off me. And I just couldn't believe that this man could do this, that this could happen. And to watch how it affected his son and to watch the pain his son went through and to watch the pain my son and my family went through. And I felt helpless to help them because I was going through it also. And in that time, you're very alone, even though you have, I had, I had my family around me 110% of the time. I had my friends around me. I had, I had it all, but I was so alone feeling. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, it was, there was a lot of, I'm going to say darkness around me that I felt. I just felt, I just couldn't believe it. I was just in shock. I was empty. I was, I just didn't even know what to do. Didn't know where to go. Didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to keep going. I had to get up and go to work. Yes. I couldn't just pull the covers over my head every day. I had to get up. I had to go. I had to keep going. I mm-hmm. had to face them in court. I had, I, I just couldn't believe that this was going on and that this was happening. And we just had such a, it was just a very, very difficult time to even describe. I remember being very alone. I remember days of not wanting to get up. I remember days where I didn't know how I was going to get through the day. I was having anxiety attacks just by waking up, by opening my eyes. I'd be having anxiety attacks. I was awake at night and thinking, oh my God, what is happening here? After he threatened me, I had to go into hiding. So now I'm, I'm like living in life where I'm looking over my shoulder, looking behind me, looking around me all the time. Every time I left work, I had to like check the parking lot, see if anybody was following me. Wow. If I suspected that there was somebody following me, I had to like drive somewhere public to see if that's what it was. We were sharing a dog uh, initially before the threat. I had the dog in my possession when he threatened me. He was posting on social media. I stole the dog. I had people looking for this dog. Right. It's kind of hard to, to live in a neighborhood and you're new to this community that I had moved to and I'm hiding. Yeah. I, I had to hide. There was so many days that they were, they were tougher than others. And I, my sister, my one sister phoned me and she knew I was upset. And she said, just it's one day at a time. Mm. And I said, I can't. One day is too big. It's too big. Wow. So I came up with, how do I get through? And that came to me. It was one breath, one step, one moment. And that's what I did. And I would go on a walk with my dog, looking over my shoulder going, okay, just take a breath. Just take a step. Okay. You've got your moment under your belt. Let's go again. Take a breath take a step. Okay. We got two moments. (laughs) And I would do this repeatedly. I'd be at work and an anxiety attack would come across me, or you get something in from the lawyer that is completely outrageous. And I'd be going, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get through this. So it was whatever worked. 
I did meditation work. I did breathing exercises and I hid and Mm. I hid for over two years. And I, I even questioned my friends, like, are they, are they really my friends? Are they not? Is it I didn't want people knowing where I was living. It became just one challenge after the other. And it lasted a very long time. And there was things that would come up words. um, One of the things he said to me just before we split up was that he um, needed somebody more submissive. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, okay, like, oh my gosh, like, and I was, and I was devastated by that because I, I've never, so many people called me a strong person and I didn't like that word. Mm. And I found it very difficult to be a strong woman. And when he said that, I was like, oh my God, I've lost this person that I love because of my strength. And what I've come to realize, I didn't find strength as as a quality as a a good quality in a A female quality that we should how dare we be strong how dare we be strong I was so afraid of it Uh so when he said that it was like oh my gosh like this is happening because of that what I've come to realize is no 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 (laughs) did you sorry did you realize at that time that the man that, that you loved, that you were in a relationship was gone long, long ago. It sounds like so much was going on. It's almost like he passed away, but you never had a moment to grieve or even recognize that he was actually gone. And this was a completely different yeah. person. Yeah. yeah, there is. I think he was... <sighs> when I look back on it now, he was gone a long time before those events mm-hmm. because of all the changes, the, the yeah. opiates that got used. And when I, we're, we're talking uh, Oxycontins and, and morphine injections at the same time. I mean, there was right. layers on top of layers. The more he got into that and he stopped working in that time, and when he stopped working and when he made financial decisions that he made that cost cost quite a bit of money, those changed him. And that's when I lost him entirely. And I remember we were at um, a counseling session. We got involved with a counseling group and they were helping him. And at the same time, I was receiving counseling. And it was, it was in regards to opiate addictions. And in that time, my counselor said to me, okay, what makes you happy? I said, we get him happy and I'm going to be good. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, what? (laughs) And all I could think of was if we could get him happy, we could get back on track. Yeah. It's and almost a loss of identity in that relationship and that you lost yourself there. I lost, I, I don't even know when it happened entirely. Yeah. And I don't know exactly when I recognized it, but I remember when I was going through all the court stuff, I said, I will dance again and I will laugh again. 
Oh, I love that. And I knew that I would, but I knew it was going to take me a very long time. I know you had a lot of support around you, but you're incredibly resilient person to be able to see that through all of the mess that was going on around you. How did you, did that come naturally or how did you, how did you reach for that sort of inner strength that you had? Well, again, that inner strength, I thought I, I wouldn't tap into before because I didn't think it was an attractive quality. So mm. I kept kind of suppressing it a bit. Okay. It was, it was in that time that when I'm melting and I'm just, I just felt like I was nothing. At the, I just felt like I was done. Yeah. And I still had people around me that reminded me of the person that I was, that, that I was a good person and that I wasn't, I wasn't at fault for this. So this critical was to have those. Journey. Yeah. This is his journey, not mine. Yes. So I tapped into my faith more and, and I tapped into, um, I tapped into a lot of inner, my inner being and trying mm. to trust in myself and observing things around me. So I'd be on a walk with my dog. I had this uh, trail that I used to go on that nobody went on. Nature is everything in in these kind of times. Absolutely. It it is. And to feel that little bit of safety because I was a little bit out of, I was out of the the way and I could let my guard down just that little bit there. And Mm. I found some things, just natural things it was Christmas morning. It was the first year, 2015. It was Christmas morning. And I was taking my dog for a walk and then there was snow all around. And there's this little oh. creek and it, there's two mallard ducks in the water. <laughs> and that brought me so much joy mm-hmm. that it was like, I'm starting Christmas morning with these, this lovely, beautiful walk and these ducks. And it was, it's those little moments that I went, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I'm going to get through this. That's an incredible sense of presence. It Being was. in that present moment, that's very, very powerful. And not everyone can, can do it off the bat. <laughs> yeah, it was, there was a lot of digging that, that went on. And it was a constant. It was a, every day. Every day I tried to find something. So I went through a whole bunch of different things. So there were some days it was like, try to find three positive things in this day. Hmm. Okay. If you have to repeat, you repeat. Repeat. But you find three positive things in this day. Okay. And so that went on for a little while. Forgiveness. I had to learn to forgive myself and I had to learn to forgive him. By forgiving him, that was allowing me to heal free. Yes. So I tried to forgive him and I, I did many things to try to do that. The burning yeah. of the pictures kind of worked, but not so much. <laughs> a bonfire in the backyard. That, <laughs> yeah, it's not always effective. No, yeah. that, but there were some other things that were, were effective. Um, I had these Christmas decorations that I put on the tree and we had, each of them had our name on them. Mm-hmm. and the first Christmas my son and I are decorating the tree and my son finds it mm-hmm. he's like can I throw this and I said no I said I'm not ready for that yet yeah so eventually 
couple of Christmases go by and I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this. I threw it down <laughs> the trash chute and it, it dinged all the way down. <laughs> and I thought, well, that was kind of satisfying. <laughs> you were way. ready to let that, that part of your life go at that point. Yeah. And then the spring came around and I was spring cleaning and there was all the cards that he had given me over the years Mm. and all of them with the sentiments of how much he loved me. Yeah. Oh, those went down too. And they made a big thunk at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, to hang on to that was hanging on to a false hope in some ways. I, Mm. I didn't need to be reminded that, that he loved me. That he existed in that form at some point in time. I, I didn't yeah. need to be reminded of it. It will always be a part of, of my life. It will always yeah. be a big chunk of it. Yeah. But I don't need to hang on to that to go forward. It's not serving any purpose for me not to hang on to, to hold on to those things, to, to hold on to those things and to hold on to the anger or yeah. the resentment or the hurt it doesn't serve me any purpose absolutely you were you were freeing yourself but as you as you got to forgiving him as you were telling the story I was I'm curious as to if you had to forgive all of those doctors and medical professionals because I think the sad part of the story is that he was asking for help and he didn't get the right help from the so-called professionals and experts that were around. I mean, we've come so far when it comes to addiction and mental health and, and all of the support that's out there today, back in the nineties, you, you clearly didn't get the support that should have been there for you. We went through this in 2015. So yeah, the supports were there. Okay. The supports were there. Oh, so he didn't, but see, when you're dealing with somebody with an addiction and this, is, this is something that I've really had to sit with and really go over. And my, and, and my son and his stepson have talked about, or my stepson and, and my son have talked yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. He would always say he did not take the medication according to the way the doctors prescribed it. Ah, that's an entirely different thing. Okay. I got you. So then I'm like, okay. Oh, he was taking less, not more. He was taking less because um, during this time, the government had come out with regulations. Mm -hmm. The regulations were, you were only allotted so many a month. They were trying to keep the addictions. They were trying to keep on top of the addictions. So he always said he was taking less. But we always had in the house Percocets, Tylenol 3s, mm-hmm. oxys of every description, like every description. We had them from 10 milligrams up to 80 milligrams in the house. Wow. Okay. Hydromorph. You wonder where he was getting all of those from also. Hydromorph. Yeah. Fentanyl. Mm. Like all of this was in the house. Uh, never mind the antidepressants. And the um, anxiety medication. Oh boy. Okay. So there was, so how was he doing this? And that's, so was it actually, was it actually the doctors or was it his creativity? Or was Honor, it the creation? He could go from doctor to doctor telling a different story. And, yeah. He didn't go to different doctors. That was the funny part. 
Okay. And when he went for counseling, if a counselor said something that he didn't like, he didn't go back. This is, yeah, this is classic sort of addict, addict's behavior and denial and, you know. So he was, so, so I'm not, I, I haven't put any, a lot of energy into the whole doctor aspect of it. Yeah. Once you give that context, it sort of changes. I just, piece, think, yeah. I just don't, I just don't think it, it's, it's anything worth, no, worth to me at any level. Um, yeah. if anybody else wants to pursue that as a, a career path to look into, because I think it would be a <laughs> career path. <laughs> uh, it would be a full-time job investigating what happened there. But yeah. at the end of the day, it sounds like he had to take accountability for that. And he, it wasn't like he was asking for help and he did, he got the wrong advice. It sounds like he was starting to manipulate and starting to do all of those other things that addicts do. Um, and I don't even, I don't even know. Cause I don't even know when it went so wrong. Right. Cause you said it was a very quick time frame that it, it was a very quick time frame. Yeah. And, and when he had the overdose in June of 2014, I, I was there mm-hmm. and I, spoke to the doctor after that right so it that was that opened my eyes to a lot of things it wasn't until a few months later that I found out that some of these medications were being hidden throughout the house I see and I'm not sure what that was all about I have speculations that I I not gonna say right i but it was interesting so it was it was an interesting time and of course clarity has come as i've moved away from the fog of the hurt and the disappointment and everything that has gone on clarity on some of this has come also fair enough and speaking of how you get through that fog and everything else like you were talking about you know you had to get a restraining order against him. It was, I think, a couple of years that you had that active. When did that, when did that stop? Like, when did the heightened anxiety around that and sort of living in fear, when did that cloud clear and how did you get there? Or has it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it took a long time. Even when, once the restraining order ended it was just the next step of now me living a life without that piece of paper and that and and having a restraining order is truly just a piece of paper because Uh, absolutely and and obtaining a restraining order is a very difficult they have to actually threaten you or try to do something to you before you can get one right I believe I had I had I had the lawyers telling me, I had lawyers telling me and mediators telling me to go and get a restraining order. I had police telling me to go and get a restraining order based on text messages and emails I had. I have an email that says, I can perform exorcisms, you know. Oh God, okay. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that ceremony involve? Like, yeah. So, So when I went to the courthouse, following instructions of lawyers and police mm-hmm. and tried to get a restraining order, I was actually turned away. Wow. Because I didn't have enough fear. 
Oh, wow. You had to be in such a state that they would. I had to be in such a state. So when two weeks later, (laughs) two weeks later, when he finally did threaten and he phoned my sister Mm -hmm. um, and, and said, said it to my sister. So when we did phone the police, they were, he was already on their radar because I had already spoken to them and I had spoken to coast, um, which is a mental health division of the police. And I had spoken to them also. Yeah. And remember at this time, we were still trying to get them help. Yeah, we knew knew this was a mental break. Yeah, we were going to get him help. That's the only thing I I wanted for you wanted. Yeah, I wanted him to get the help he needed. Mm -hmm. Because I it was so clear to me that he needed help. It was so clear to his son. It was so clear to my son. It was so clear to all of our family that he needed needed help. Yeah. So when the threat came through and I'm sitting in a backyard with two police officers. There's a private, there's a unmarked car in the driveway beside, there's another one circling the block. And I'm listening to the police radio because they're talking to her and they are sending over basically a task force to take him in. Wow. The reality of all of that and, and sitting there listening and recognizing oh my god this is my husband this is a man that i love more than anything and and the swat team's coming in and taking him down oh my gosh having to describe him to the police describe markings mm-hmm. having to is there weapons in the house and he collected ninja swords suddenly that's a weapon oh my gosh it wasn't at the time, but now it is yeah. to, to sit there and go through all that was so surreal. It was, it, it was, it was, I, I still shake when I think of that, mm-hmm. I, when I think of those moments and then I heard we got him wow. and, and I melted, I melted. I, I was done. That was it. I was done for the day. I couldn't do anything else. I was completely non-functional moving forward from that day. And I had to go down to the courthouse the next day and get the restraining order. And I walked in. Took that before you were allowed to get a restraining order. Took that. I walked in. The lawyer from two weeks ago recognized me. And I said, he's now threatened my life. Yeah. So then I had to sit down and document everything. And you're shaking and you're still in disbelief you're in complete shock and you're having to re go through all this. And then they tell you, you have to face him in court in two weeks. My. I'm like, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him ever again. Yeah. Like, no, this is it. Like, so it, it was a really difficult time as we were waiting for the paperwork to be processed. We got a phone call and the phone call was, that they were keeping him for an extended time frame, And I broke out crying and I said, oh, thank God he's going to get the help he needs. You're still thinking about him. That's... I still loved him. Of course you and did. Of course. That just didn't go away. Well. And what I've come to realize, so six years later, mm-hmm. I will always love him. There's always you love the man that he was. 
Yeah. There's always going to be a part of me. Yeah. And I never want, I mean, if somebody phoned me and said he was sick or he wasn't, he. You'd never want harm to come upon him. I don't want that for him. Yeah. And he's made his choice and he's lost family through it and he's lost friends through it. And those are his choices. Yeah. And he lost you. Oh, I lost, I lost, but you know what? No, he lost you. Oh yeah. He lost you. If. From an observer hearing this story, I'm like, you gained an incredible amount of what you used to think is not a feminine characteristic, but the amount of strength and perseverance, what you gained through this, um, it's incredible. It's incredible. I came out with my life. Yeah. Very, I am very grateful for that. And your sons, very- your son and your stepson, right? I, I came out with, with a... F- and to know what it's to be like to be loved mm. through like through and through my yeah. family has shown me what true love really is mm-hmm. and so and, and my kids and yes. my I wouldn't cry in front of my kids <sighs> <laughs> they saw me cry a lot yeah and to that's healthy though it's healthy okay. but I didn't for years I, right. I wanted to be, I, funny strong. enough, why did I want to do that? I wanted to be strong for them. I wanted them yeah. to see that I was a strong female yeah. to my kids. Yeah, but, to but not out. to the man, not to, but the- not, but <laughs> even not to, not to coworkers. I, because I mean, even in working through my career has been people along the way find that they don't want a strong female role. Yeah. They want, they, you know, that there goes that strength thing. But to my kids, it was very important. Mm-hmm. And to the kind of men they're going to be. And yeah. They and they probably are at this point. Yeah. And it's really interesting because my son refers to my strength a lot. Yeah. And, and every Christmas card, every Mother's Day card refers to how strong I am oh. and how I have shown him that you just keep going and you find your way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not always easy, yeah. but you keep going because when you keep going, there's so much more beauty. Oh yeah. So much more to life. life. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. A, like I said, I'll dance again. <laughs> and I don't know what my life is going to be like five years from now. I don't, but it doesn't matter because right now what Matt is, is what matters. And what matters right now is I feel peace. I'm not walking on eggshells anymore. Mm. Yeah. I'm not worrying. I'm not worrying if he doesn't like the way something was done. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about me. And I don't need validation from him anymore but from anybody from any oh that's good right there that's good you don't need it from anyone that's an incredible from place anybody. to be yeah. and that, that took a long time to get to this point mm-hmm. it took a very long time to get to this point and and yeah. um i yeah i mean i had these hopes and dreams and those hopes and dreams were to meet somebody have a 
uh, relationship have that little white picket fence and you know, <laughs> yeah. dinners and yes. all of that. And all that's little cool. girls are told they should walk <laughs> in their lives. Yes. <laughs> and it, to some degree I had that. Yeah. We always we always had family dinners. We always got together. We so to some degree. Then it blew up. Yeah. And what are you what are you left with if that's it blew up? Yeah. Gone. Yeah. But what's left is I still believe in that. And I don't I still believe in that. I still want to have those dinners. I still want to I still want to have that home that's like a white picket fence around it for me. Yes, not so for, for you, else. not for anyone else. That's the key piece. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm still learning is what do I want for me? What is I love it? That. That's, and that's something that'll continuously evolve and change throughout your life, depending on circumstances and what's going on and who's around you and but, it, you know, you are so surrounded with love and support. I think that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I um, am. I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. And that's, that gratitude is so important, too, for, for recognizing and seeing what's in front of you, that presence that you have, and taking a moment to step back and be thankful for all of that is is part of building like who you are and this like you give off I know strength has come up so much but (laughs) you give off just um it's not an in-your-face strength it's just there and it's just who you are and it's your presence and it's just simply there and that is a very very sort of authentic that you can't make that up you can't create that. It's uh, I can, I can finally is. take it as a compliment. <laughs> and it is absolutely a compliment for all the women that are listening. Strength is definitely a find your inner strength. <laughs> find that inner strength because it's there. We all we all yeah. have it. We all yeah, have it. We do. And don't we be do. afraid of it because it is a beautiful thing. And that, that's really interesting that you said it that way. Like, don't be afraid of it because our own power can scare us sometimes, and then we recoil. Yeah and pull back into pleasing everybody around us and taking care of everyone around us as opposed to taking care of ourselves. Yeah. And, and knowing, like knowing it's okay. Not everybody has to like what you like. Yes. Not everybody has to understand why you do this. Yeah. You have to understand it. You right. have to like it. Yeah. And, and that's all that matters. I, I want to be a good person and I want to be a person that, that people can depend on me mm-hmm. for who I am and for what I bring to them. Yeah. I don't want, I don't care anymore. It's taken me a long time. If you don't like that, that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And we like, we don't right. need to be connected. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah. I'm okay with that. I don't have to have that validation from everybody or anybody. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going out and hurting people. I'm so I'm quite happy to be in my own little world as I call it and do find those little things that make me happy. Nature makes me very happy. 
Yes. <laughs> Nature makes me very happy. I have this little zoo that I go to that I've discovered in the last oh, few years. Yeah. And they're primarily lions and, and uh, big cats. Mm, powerful. And my favorite time to go is in the fall. <laughs> I've discovered that. And the most, the best thing in the world for me is when I hear the lions roar. Wow. And I can stand there forever. Mm. And my girlfriend said to me one time, she said, don't you want to find somebody that can share this with you? And I said, no, I'm good. I said, this is mine. This is, this is, this is for me. This is for yeah. nobody else. Yeah. I'm doing it for me. And that's okay. Like, that is brilliant. It's not just okay. It's necessary. Yeah. And it's I, so I want important. everybody to know that doing that thing that's yours yes. and what's yours. Yes. You don't have to have other people understand what it means to you. You just have to embrace what it means to you. Yeah, and that's sacred. That relationship with yourself is very sacred and so important. Yeah. And yes, you're going to feel alone at times mm -hmm. when you go through things, you feel yes. alone, but the reason you feel alone or the reason I believe you feel alone is because you're going through it yes. and nobody can understand what it's like to go through what you're going through because it's you. That's right. So yeah. embrace it, recognize it, trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your heart, trust your yeah. head. Trust in you. And if you don't get that, those moments that are just for you, you can't hear yourself to get that trust and to hear what you're saying and to follow your gut. There's too much noise. If you don't have a moment to sort of center and to spend time with yourself, you won't hear it. You won't hear it. Mm -hmm. And it, you miss out on some, some things. I mean, I've learned a lot. I still have a ways to go, but I, yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happier to move forward now. That's incredible. And take those steps. So do I still one breath, one step, one moment? I still have to do that. Yeah. Still part of my life, but it's not because it's coming from a place of fear. It's coming from a place of healing and it's mm. coming from a place that feels right. Mm, that's so important that it feels right to you. Yeah. So when I say it now, it doesn't have anything attached to it. It's just for and you. It's just, it's just for me. So it, it feels good to have the, it feels good to have some of those things that are just mine. Yes. And even though they came at a time that wasn't good, it doesn't associate with it anymore. I love that. And a lot of times moms in particular, like mothers in particular will get, um, like they'll be so worried about their kids that they, they don't have time and space for themselves. How did you navigate all of this? It sounds like you have incredible relationships with your sons. How did, how did you manage that while caring for yourself through all of this trauma? I always wanted, I always wanted them to know I loved them. I always wanted them to know that I was there. Yes. I always wanted them to know that I recognized the challenges they had with him right. and that I was too having challenges and without speaking it, I would just kind of say, I know. Right. So in some cases when they were younger, I would be joking with them. So 
we had this dope. He used to line up the converters in a certain way and I'd go and move them, Mess them up. <laughs> just to get him going a bit, but just so the kids could see mm. that. Yeah. I recognize this too. Let oh, it's almost like an evidence-based. Yeah. So I, I really okay. tried to, to do that with them to, to, I always wanted them to know that I was there and that I loved them. Yeah. And and I, and it, it, I wasn't easy on them, but I, I wanted them to know they still needed the structure. They still needed all of, of course. That. Yeah. And I was still there. When all this started to happen, of course they got worried. Now they're adults yeah. and they got worried mm-hmm. about what was going on. Worried about my safety, worried about sure. what was going on, trying to get help, trying to figure everything out. Yeah. For his son, it was different in the sense of his son was, this is my dad. I'm watching him break just as much. Mm. For my son, he was worried about my safety. Sure. So now he was kind of becoming this protector. Mm-hmm. we're trying to and I'm like no I'm still protecting you <laughs> yeah. yeah this straight strong one over here <laughs> no yeah. so but it very was very sweet that he was trying to protect you that's very it, it, it was yeah. and and he it was it was an awful time mm-hmm. it was an awful time for all of us yeah I remember um when he went into when he was arrested he went into the hospital it was the next day or the day after and my stepson was at the hospital and had yeah. come home yeah and he was staying he was staying at my sister's with me at yeah. that time so that um we didn't want to go anywhere near my new place because we were worried people were out looking for us right so it was safer to be at my sister's where he thought i was than to try to get to a new place i missed something him knowing where my new place was right so we were staying there and he came back from the hospital and he pulled in the driveway and to sit and watch him and he was crying oh his dad of course and my heart broke for him yeah and my my instinct my motherly instinct was to protect him of course and put myself aside and be there for him Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do this. Like, like this one's a hard one because this was so difficult in so many ways. So when it was a challenge for all of us and it was a really, um, it was, it was hard to put it all together because of all the layers. Right. So much complexity. There was so much complexity to it and his beliefs and, we had all the documentation. We had <laughs> we had layers on top of layers of text messages, of um, emails. He posted everything on face on sorry on Instagram or no sorry LinkedIn. Oh for goodness okay. sakes, that's like your the professional uh, social media platform. Oh, and he posted everything on there. Wow. Everything was on there. Wow. So right down to, I stole the dog. Oh my goodness. Okay. It was all on there. So that was all going into court. 
I was right. taking it into court because I'm like, this is. Well, he's just basically people. handing you evidence at that he point. Was, right. So. The, but the judge didn't see it necessarily that way. And the judge saw it as um, he was not threatening me anymore. And she didn't feel he was a threat to me. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm like, how? How? The, yeah. the mental health aspect is like so clear. Alone is clear. <laughs> so yeah. clear. Yeah. So that process in itself, when you go through a restraining order in the courts and all that, can be very frightening, also, and very discouraging. And Absolutely. I remember thinking they need more advocates in this area for this because it it it's it's a painful, shocking time. Um, and it, we had people, professionals say to, to my family, she can't make decisions right now. <laughs> Don't let her make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was emotional for me. I was on this, uh, this huge emotional. Of course you were living in fear. You were legitimately living in fear. And I had to respond like with the courts, I had to respond to documentation that he put forth. And I was, I was coming from a place of emotion and you can't put that in the court documents. You have to be very no. detached from it. Yeah. So I would go off on my rant. My sister would reword it and take out the emotions. Sisters are the best, aren't they? <laughs> it was like a family affair. Try yeah. to get things out. And I'm like, <laughs> I was just too, I, it was just too emotional. And it was, there was so much, so many layers of that also there was anger yeah. there was hurt there was disappointment frustration there was all of those layers were just coming out all at once you never knew what was going to come out but yeah. things were and you just kind of allow yourself i think i think the biggest part allow yourself to laugh at it mm, allow yourself okay. to laugh at that situation every once in a while allow yeah. yourself to laugh at your reaction to it yeah because it's okay. It's, it's, it's you, it's your, you're human. Yeah. And when you go through these things, like there was just times where it was just like, are you kidding me? Mm. Are you kidding me that you're putting this forward into a court document? There was times where he would change LinkedIn six times in a day. And I'm like, how do you, and my lawyer's saying, keep up with it. I'm like, how? Like, I can't follow this anymore. I've had enough. <laughs> and he was posting some, some very frightening things on there. So it was hard. And it was hard, like on the kids to know that that was going on. My son never read the court documents. Um, he never read um, most of the LinkedIn. He, yeah. he couldn't, uh, he couldn't be bothered. He said, he said, it's, it, there was no benefit for him. There was no benefit yeah. for him mm -hmm. and it made him angry. Yeah. It's actually and very, was, very um, intelligent decision to make. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So he, so I just, I said to him, this is where I keep it. Yeah. If you ever want to. It's there. It's there. I'm not hiding it. Yeah. It's up to you, but yeah. we have a, there was a lot and there was, there was, um, it happened very quickly. And fortunately the restraining order did the best thing and that was keep him away. I think it's wonderful that you eventually got the restraining order, but the fact that you had to go through so much to get it and it just is reflective of how much um, women in particular, and I'll say victims for lack of a better term, 
the onus is on them to prove that something's wrong as opposed to just hearing women when they first come forward, even if you're sensing something, even if like something's not right, people need to listen. Like there's so much conversation out there right now. And so such an increase in violence against women right now. And it's just evidence was there or something was there. You could have, and it's so infuriating and frustrating and even listening to you just the fact that you had to be serious in court and keep yourself together but at the same time they wouldn't issue anything unless you showed that you were beyond afraid like how does that make any sense it one i again i had lawyers and the first lawyer i ever went to which was uh middle of june Mm -hmm. he was he said we have a safety issue here yeah, he, he saw the safety issue right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. When I called Coast, they were, there's a safety issue. Right. Okay. Right. But I can't do anything about that safety issue. And that was, and it was, it was very concerning. So of my course. family was calling me every, every morning, mm-hmm. every night ever after work. And yeah. then when the restraining order came in, they were still calling and checking. Of course in. They I didn't answer my phone. I, they were all calling again. Like the yeah. house phone's ringing, the cell phone's ringing. I'm like, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I just got to pee for a second. <laughs> but, but that's wonderful that so many people were around yeah. and like cared but enough it, to do it, that. It was just, it was this constant. Mm-hmm. And the living in fear. Because, yeah. you know, I didn't, I never expected him to threaten my life. Yeah. Now I've aggravated him even more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now what's going to happen if he runs into me? What will happen if he sees me? Right. What happens if he finds out where I live? Yep. I, I didn't have the answer to that. And that brought on a whole new layer of, of fear and anxiety. Yeah. And, and there's, find- there's a lot of anxiety attacks in there that, that were very new to me. Yeah. And- I mean, if, if this doesn't trigger anxiety and you don't know what would. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. And I've, I have run into him, not face to face. I've been in my car. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Okay. But I have seen him and I have run into him and my son has. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's just, I guess, a part of life to some degree we live in the same town we're going to potentially see each other see each other and uh you just you know he will not forgive me he blames me for everything I am still he holds so much anger towards me wow and and I am very aware of that um so there is still that level of fear if I ran into him what would happen of course yeah what would happen but at the same time with that, I, I can't live, I can't live behind closed doors all the yep. time. Yep. That's, that's, that's allowing him a win that I'm not going to allow. Yeah. You have a very full life to lead from this point yeah, on. I hope so. So. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely do. Absolutely. I so. Yeah. yeah. And you're still discovering and figuring it all out. So I think I'm that's still wonderful. discovering and, and figuring things out. I've 
started classes recently at college. Um, oh, good for you. Yeah. So we're, we're trying a new step and, yeah. and each time I take a step, I'm, I still have those uncertain moments, mm-hmm. but I just keep doing the one, one breath, one step, one moment. And, and I just keep hoping that's going to get me through. I love that. And I think that mantra is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners as well um, as they move through similar or difficult situations. Yeah. Just be true. Just, you know, really be true to yourself and really look at, you know, what is it that, that you want Mm -hmm. in, in your life and, and how do you want somebody to be with you? How do you want to be treated? Yes. And be true to that heart. Cause that's mm-hmm. going to really tell you what you need to know. And, and it, you know, it's okay. It, it, there is scary times and, and that's just a part of it. That's a part of everybody's journey, no matter who you are. Yeah. There is scary times. There is uncertain times. Being true to yourself and being true to your heart and who you are makes that those scary times. Okay because you're protecting yourself at the same time. You're protecting your heart by following it and being with it and listening. And listening. I think that is, those are true words of wisdom um, that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will appreciate and live by going forward. And um, living, what is it? One breath, one moment. One breath, one step, one moment. One step, one breath, one step, one moment at a time. And I think that's a wonderful lesson for all of us. So I thank you so much for sharing that story. It was an incredible journey um, to go on with you. And I am absolutely sure that so many of our listeners have benefited from it. So we thank you so, so much for having the courage uh, to take action and uh, to uh, be with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much.